Hello and welcome to the Ark Co podcast. My name is Matthew Yassin, a director in the structured finance team. Hello, I'm Andrew Robinson. I'm CEO of Ark Co. The team here at Ark Co thought we'd put together a podcast to illustrate the thoughts and feelings that are going through the commercial finance world today. What we'd like to achieve is get to understand better some industry figureheads and get to know their journey that they've been on over the last 10 to 15 years. And secondly, we'd like to understand where the industry is going in education of the next generation in the financial services sector. And conclusively, we'd like you to rate, review and subscribe and tell all your colleagues as this will help us spread the message that we want and educate others. And most important of all, please enjoy listening to Andrew and I talk about the financial world. Welcome back to the Ark Co podcast. I'm here with Duncan Krieger and Nick Russell from TAB. I'm also here with Julian King, who's a senior asset advisor at Ark Co. Welcome, gents. Thank, um, thank you. Duncan, Nick, uh, give us a quick five minutes about your background. Go on, Nick, over to you. My own background is uh, starting this industry working as a business development manager at uh, Bridging Lender, West One Loans. Uh, was there for about a year and a half um, and decided that it was time that I, I, it was the industry I wanted to be in. So I moved into the broking side because I wanted to broaden my knowledge across all the different types of lending and including development, senior, mayors, equity. Um, ended up working for a corporate at, at Lambert Smith Hampton uh, and was head of property finance there for three and a half years. Um, after being there successfully, decided to set up my own brokerage. Uh, had that for a couple of years, uh, but always knew I wanted to end up back in lending. That was much more uh, suiting my style and what I wanted to achieve. Um, so, middle middle to the end of last year, Duncan and I had a conversation, and um, yeah, I decided to join Duncan again after working with him at West One. We worked really well together. It was a good team. So. Uh, we've remained good friends. We've remained very interested in each other's careers. And I think it was the right time, the right move for me to make at this stage of my career. Brilliant. Uh, Duncan, many people already know who you are, but uh, do you want to let us know? Is that a good thing uh, or a bad thing? (laughs) It's a good thing, as always. A quick five minutes, please. Yeah, I mean, my approach is going to be slightly different. I, just because we're in a podcast environment, I thought it'd be interesting because I've I've been doing my own podcast over like the last year or so. And my podcast is about business, property and positive thinking. And I guess everything I've done in my career has led me to those kind of three key strands of what I think makes me who I am and who I want to be moving forward. So I'm quite entrepreneurial. Um, Tab isn't the only business that I have an interest in, uh, but it is the only business that I work full time for. Um, But every business that I'm involved in has some sort of angles around First and foremost, real estate, um, extracting income from real estate and also attracting investors to put money with us um, for a return. So previously I had a lending business, which was a great good news story. And it's a, a lender that continues to exist today with a 500 million pound plus loan book, which is something I was inspirational in um, getting off the ground. And I learned a huge amount about setting up building and selling, exiting um, a lending business. So obviously I've got lots of good friends in the industry, which has made it a very nice place to be um, coming back into a market and being welcomed back so generously. So, Wow, so there's a lot to cover off there. I'm impressed you did it in such a a quick sort of two, three minutes. 
Clearly, you've got the appetite for uh, for lending uh, with the previous experiences that you've had. Um, and Tab has been created. Um, it's been bounded around the market now, and I know you've done a few good deals. Um, how was that conceived? Talk to me. Um, you know, as a business, it's lending in black and white. What's the concept behind that? I mean, I spent a lot of my working career um, in the bridging finance space, and I've seen some changes. So a lot of the big powerhouse lenders now are lenders that I saw in their infancy around the same time as I started my previous firm. And some of those firms have gone in different directions. I mean, one's gone on to get a banking license. Others have become um, very well into institutionally funded and lots of challenger banks have, have propped up into the market which is not something that existed when I started lending and when I started lending bridging finance was a kind of dirty word um, it was most certainly a lender of last resort and it was the type of thing that nobody really knew they needed or wanted um, it was more a case of it was the kind of worst case scenario and that's definitely changed a lot um, because now it is a viable option um, and it's a competitive option for lots of different types of loans from refurbishment and development land all these types of um, properties fit with this kind of asset-backed lending stance where you can have access to capital um, very quickly from somebody who understands a transaction. And what I felt after taking a couple of years out of the market was that things had just got very complicated. I mean, from my perspective, coming back into the space, um, I wasn't that um, it wasn't that easy for me to understand straight away what people were doing with kind of front loading of fees and back loading of deferred interest and all these sorts of interesting um, ways of dressing up the same cost um, were sort of options on the table, which I felt made it dif more difficult for consumers and more difficult for brokers to do a good job. And so lending in black and white. Um, came out of, as far as I'm concerned, a, a bridging loan or the loans that we offer. It is a legal contract. It is a loan agreement between us and a borrower and everything is there in black and white. And we don't have any fancy bells and whistles and we don't have any kind of um, hugely creative product guides. We just want to put our best foot forward and deliver on what we promise we will do. Product like transparency is one of our sort of taglines in our... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we go by the sort of mantra of tab, trust, transparency. Nice. And nice. that's really important to me. I mean, yeah. You do what it says on the tin, I guess. Yeah. Which, uh, which in the land of, uh, you know, a saturated bridging market, as you say, I'm, I've been in the business probably about as long as you have. And at the same time, I've seen all these challenges, uh, you know, grow and the bridges come into the market and dressing up fees and, and exits and all that in, in various different ways. Yeah. It's refreshing to have a, a black and white approach, actually. Good. Um, so looking back last year, how, uh, how did you find 2019? Yeah, Nick came along a little bit later so maybe I'll let him handle one of the later questions but last year for me was about really trying to um, tell the market that we're back um, so I don't what I, I, I had many different ways to approach building a new bridging lender 
and the most important thing to me was that now I have, I've realized I have time on my side. I'm still in my mid thirties. I am not in a tearing hurry to build a business and exit in the same way that I did last time. There's some huge positives about selling a business and there's also some negatives about selling a business. And I feel now within my kind of stable of companies that I'm trying to nurture that this is something that will remain um, under my ownership for many years to come. And therefore, the most important thing is that we do the right loans. Um, so first and foremost, it was about us knocking on doors and reintroducing myself and the new business to the market. And I've sat around this boardroom table with a lot of you guys kind of literally just to say, hi, we're not begging for business. We're not sort of preaching how cheap we are or how clever we are. It's just about saying hello and telling people we're back and that if they want to have conversations, um, then they know where to find us. And then my other kind of key strategy last year was to bring the very best people that I could afford into the business. Um, so rather than being heavily reliant on me and... Um, All you got was me, basically. <laughs> um, and sort of building up um, from the bottom, I felt it was important to hire some key people and give them um, a share of the business so that they feel like it's their own. And to that end, we hired Nick at the end of last year as a sales director and someone who I can see growing into a much bigger role at the lending firm. And mother of Param Jorthy, who was 11 years a partner at Philip Ross, who gives us a kind of unrivaled proper legal expertise in-house, um, which I think helps us to make quicker decisions and better decisions right at the outset because wasting brokers' time is equally as bad wasting our own time um, and the client's time. Um, well, they say a quick nose is good as a yes sometimes, yeah. but it's, it's, a, it's good to have you back in the market. And Thank we, uh, we were very excited when uh, you did set around this boardroom and, and tell us that. about your new, new proposition. You. Um, it sounds like Tab have really got their uh, lines straight with having an in-house lawyer. Um, and going forward, three differences in the market that you feel will happen this year uh, from last year based on the clarity, political clarity that we've got now. Over to you, Nick. Well, I think we're all hoping for transaction volumes to go up, which I think we've seen. So look, I don't know whether it's we've seen it, everyone's seeing it. I certainly think from our side, probably back end of last year. So I only joined sort of really for Q4 last year. But we had a, quite a rapid progression in inquiries, uh, terms over, uh, and then moving into valuation legals and actually then completions. January was pretty big for us uh, as a business as a whole, but... It was exciting. We got some sizable loans. I mean, that did go out in the press, so we've had quite a few comments on that. Um, it's not the only deal we've done. No, it's not. It's <laughs> the only deal with PR. It's only one people have yeah, probably read about. But, you know, but I think it put us back in the game slightly. Um, I definitely think we are seeing more inquiries, and I'd like to think that is now... I felt there was like a little stutter at the beginning of Feb and now all of a sudden towards now the back end of February, we're seeing deals really moving through and forward towards completion. People want to get deals over the line. Um, listen, that's great for us and that's hopefully good for the property market as a whole. Is it a different market since you exited the last time? Um, it is a different market. It definitely is a different market. I mean, 
there's a few things like one of my answers would have been to that is I think things like peer-to-peer lending on kind of digital platforms where mom and pop investors can um, invest into loans they don't understand I think that's coming to an end I think that will become properly regulated in the right way and to me never really made sense having kind of pioneered peer-to-peer lending before that really existed I I didn't really feel that um, kind of average Joe investors should be able to put a hundred pounds or even a thousand pounds into those types of loans but there is definitely a digital um, evolution and revolution on the horizon and the way that um, we all interact with each other and keep each other updated in most industries I think will start to pick up momentum. Do you think peer-to-peer sprung up because of the lack of lending from the institutions or the restrictions and prohibitations? I think it sprung up because of the lack of regulation. I think the barriers to entry were very small um, compared to you know, just to take money from private investors, um, the only alternative prior to that was to become a bank and to get a banking license. And very few businesses went through the banking license process in kind of 15 years prior to me starting lending. It was a kind of closed old boys club. And basically through a kind of quirk in regulation that allowed people to be much more lightly regulated um, as a peer-to-peer platform where certain um, exemptions that meant if the computer was matching people then there were ways around the kind of traditional regulation I think that really um, helped to drive this kind of billion pound loan books that propped up Um, I mean it started with business to business loans and um, then started to it's not uncommon for people to start lending money secured on property and realizing that it is an incredibly good bet um, as far as risk-adjusted returns are concerned. And then, you know, I think that helped to fuel momentum. Um, Has the competition made the lenders sharpen their pencil, perhaps? Or? I think the market's become more sophisticated. Um, I don't subscribe to... It suits me to say this, but I don't subscribe to headline rates. I get that if you are set up like a bank and you take banking-type risk, that you can lend at banking-type rates, you know, kind of 0.5, 0.6 a month, to me, is the same as a commercial mortgage at four or five over. I mean, you guys probably talk much, um, much more intellectually about the types of commercial mortgages and development finance that's around, but that, that, that is cheap money. You know, four, five, six percent. I think is is cheap. Yeah. I think I think I'm. I think I agree with you there. I think in our market, it's not about price; it's about delivery. First yeah. of all, you know, peer to peer has had its problems with yeah. non committal funds, etc. You get a lot of lenders obviously coming in. We talk about it, you know, quite frequently. And one of the things, just picking up Nick, what you were saying, you know, it's been a very busy start to the year. We're seeing that it's a lot. You know, we've all got full pipelines. You know, there's a bit more confidence. Mm. Some of the things that um, other lenders have said. In this boardroom, yeah, we sort of touched on higher, yeah, 2020. What does it look like? Higher leverage in the bridging space at cheaper rates. How would you? I mean, if you've touched on a few bits and pieces, yeah. How would you differentiate yourself against? Yeah, that in the market. We're about kind of going back to basics, right? So we want to meet customers. We want to see the project. We want to 
take you through, um, take you on a journey and build a relationship, which means that both you and the customer can rely on coming back and, and working together for the next 10 years. So my thing this time around is about building customers that we can go on a journey with rather than trying to bash out deals and keep our numbers up. Um, yeah, we don't want to come a hamster wheel of just cycling deals, cycling deals, not really pay any due care. We want to build a quality loan, but obviously quantity comes with that, but we're not quantity first, quality second, I think, mainly yeah. on our loan book. And I think so far, I'd like to think that if you spoke to the people who we've dealt with so far, would say that actually service-wise, um, communication have been right up there. That's the message I preached when I first joined. I did sort of video and done some messaging around that. That is really where we want to stay because look, the balance between growing your business and making sure you look after the people you've already invested time with as well as develop new relationships, I think is the key for most for, for us particularly in any lending business. The other thing that's changed just quickly <clears throat> is... Um, that I was kind of very young in the industry for a long time. And recently I opened the Bridging Commercial magazine and saw the kind of 35 power people <laughs> under yeah. 35. Yeah. And I was looking at it thinking, I'm not even going to make this list anymore. <laughs> um, I'm too old to be. And, yeah. and, and therefore my point is that there is a whole new kind of breed of people in this marketplace who maybe don't know who I am, who don't know um, the West One story and the fact that we did some things really, really well when I was there. And therefore, it gives me an opportunity to um, reinvent the business as someone that those sorts of people can understand and interact with more clearly so things like our social media and the videos and the podcasts i think are the right way to communicate with people from us from a, from a marketing perspective prior to being able to do this sort of thing we would have to grease the palms of the sort of four or five local trade press who had a kind of stronghold on the market and now we can reach more people than they can if we're a bit cleverer and um, we use people to help us create good content and we work hard to push it out then people can make a decision for themselves whether they they like and want to interact yeah. with us yeah, social media has right. allowed us to create our own marketplace for marketing to be honest yeah I mean it's, it's, it's a new platform isn't yeah. it and allows us to do what we're doing today and I yeah. think you're absolutely right when you said the industry has changed as a whole there is a brand new breed of, uh, of brokers, lenders and everybody coming through uh, almost like a second generation of, of the industry sure, which yeah. as you mentioned 10 years ago was a naughty boy corner yeah. you know um, so <laughs> Going on to the next question, actually, technology. You know, everyone's embracing technology, and the, the bigger firms now are, are streamlining the process. No more sort of back of a fag packet sort of situations. Um, how has that been incorporated into your business, and how do you see that going forward? Look, for me, it's firstly, I'm it not. It's not about tech for tech's sake. So I don't think there's there's some things in bridging specifically with these types of. Um, high pressured transactions there is a lot of value in picking up the phone um, and chatting something through with someone talking about how we can overcome the hurdles that we need to overcome to deliver on our promises so i think that it's very difficult to do any sort of automated underwriting and bridging in my view it's very difficult to you know people don't really necessarily want um updates and um, notifications on their phone i think you know things are very high pressured people will really come into our own when someone needs money on friday 
you know, where somebody's already got a quote of 0.85 a month and they've got eight weeks before they're due to exchange and another eight weeks after that before completion, we can't get excited. We don't think we can add as much value as maybe we can um, when someone's under pressure. So that's, so to that end, I think um, in bridging specifically, I think tech is not going to really take much of a stronghold but I do have an idea about where which may be for another podcast actually about where I think technology can have a huge effect in real estate generally and the way that people buy and sell property and how quickly you should be able to transact on a property Um, and that's something I'm quite excited about and that's what I really see now as tabs kind of digital evolution into property ownership and um, returns for investors so that people can interact with the business in in a kind of instant environment that they would be used to in almost any other sector. I think it's um, one thing we always talk about, yeah, human human interaction, you know, when there are problems and obviously you go through loans and, you know, there are problems. Some are harder to overcome than others, but just speaking, just being able to pick up the phone and speak to somebody at the end of it rather than write an email or go through yeah. a platform yeah. is so, yeah, you're going to overcome the problem a lot quicker, yeah. which means you can get the money out the door quicker and, and yeah. ultimately the benefit goes to the, to the client and get yeah. the scheme going quicker. And the other thing about us not doing a huge amount of volume at the moment is that every deal is really, really important to us. You know, and every and every client who picks up the phone and wants to transact with us is really, really important to us because I still feel like you've only got one chance really to capture people and one chance to piss them off. And therefore, you know, it's important to us that we give every deal that we do say yes to due care and attention. And, you know, so, you know, technology, not for technology's sake at this point. I've got a um, slightly uh, different question um, yeah. just based on... Yeah, again, sort of coming back to you, Nick, we talked about, you know, you came through last year, there were certain headwinds, you know, the election, mm-hmm. what does Brexit look like and all of that. Obviously, we've got coronavirus uh, happening at the moment, and it might not be an answer to this, but, um, yeah, I come to the office this morning, I had a quick look at the money markets, equities are off 4%, you know, in Europe, it's off nearly 3% overnight in the States, and they're not open yet. There seems to be uh, a strong reaction to the worsening of coronavirus you know gold's gone through the roof dollars nearly back at 100 um that's all about is that sort of risk off mentality if you know and this is kind of crystal ball gazing but you know you've got all that reaction happening in those markets during the course of this year do you see it as a threat to property uh, in any shape or form real estate in any shape or form i.e in transaction or, or maybe even threat. Sorry, it's probably a threat to anyone. If it's going to threaten the property market or threaten us in general uh, as a whole, it's going to threaten us as a whole. So it's going to impact society in general. If we really have that major outbreak, say, you know, what we're seeing in northern Italy at the moment, where they're shutting down towns, it was going to affect everyone, right? Because no one's going to be at work. No one's going to be, okay, we can still do emails and stuff, but it's going to create a negative impact You're still across coming to everyone. work, aren't you? <laughs> sure. 24 <24/7. laughs> 7. Um, from a hospital. <laughs> I just it's very hard to predict any what level of impact it will impact of course it will I mean you just can't see people throwing themselves into work when they're worried about their health you know ultimately when it comes to that health comes first so can I give you a really clever answer no uh, it's more of a general answer that I can see things of course slowing down we always see when there's negative social political economic issues things automatically slow there's down because confidence lags I think yeah. the, the UK property market has been seen to be pretty resilient yeah. 
Um, you know, even after the last challenging couple of years, there's obviously been um, transaction levels have gone down and reports of property dropping in value every month. Um, but really, property had been, at, certainly in my lifetime, property had been at an all-time high. And there was talk of a correction long before Brexit or the coronavirus or any sort of election um, politics political um, agenda for the for the week so really i don't think um could be a positive for the market yeah, well, could be a positive, often markets have some funny form of doing things that the, the other direction that you thought and yeah. it could be a positive I mean, in the sense there's safety is, coming back we're in, in it for the long term so we feel that I, I strongly believe that UK property is a good long-term proposition and that nobody should be taking a bridging loan unless they have a solid exit and they have a plan for paying that bridging loan. And doesn't therefore, change the mechanics, it doesn't does it? change yeah. um, my view of the property market right now. Um, I still think that it's, it's a sort of market I want to back, if you like, for my, my working career. I mean, you've got agents running around the other side of the coin, Jules, um, and saying the market's flying at the moment. Um, would you put a bit of caution on that as well? Well, yeah, because what they're saying is that they've had more viewings than they've ever had before, yeah. um, which is interesting. Um, I've got a few flats for sale that have also had more viewings um, than they have had before, but that's not necessarily yet translating to... Um, completions, um, exchanges, or prices movement, in my view. Um, I think it's the, the first early signs of things starting to happen. One thing's for sure is people have been sitting on their hands for a very, very long time. Um, it may be that they've got more used to sitting on their hands and this kind of... Uh, there's a lot of things I think have changed, um, not just in the bridging sector. If you look at the kind of younger generation and even the younger generations below that, there doesn't feel to me to be the same drive to get on the property ladder that there was when I was a kid. You know, that was the talk of that kind of first financial step about, oh, you got to get on the property ladder, you got to get on the property ladder. Now I think people are like, why would I do that? You know, I don't want to be stuck in London. I don't want to be stuck in Hertfordshire. I don't necessarily want to be stuck to any one property. There's now live work, there's co-working, there's co-living. Been and a I, shift, hasn't there? And it's almost like 10 years, not until you settle down. Yeah, you're buying and your first even property. then, you know, the world's more international. You can, I certainly do work from my laptop anywhere in the world. Yeah. I get on the internet in the most remote place in the, in the Alps, in a hotel, I sit down for three hours at four o'clock in the morning, send my emails, close my laptop. I've done a lot of work in a short space of time. Um, culture generally is something that I'm very interested in. I haven't quite kind of found my, um, the sort of the right sweet spot, if you like, yeah. But I think trying t to help people to work more positively and um, in a way that they're mo best motivated to. I mean, all these things contribute to things being very different. Um, so... Yeah. Can I just jump back in on the property market a sec? So it's all very well agents saying, yeah, the market's flying, but I think they've got to be careful what they wished for because now you're seeing landowners and house owners saying, actually, there's real confidence in the market. I'm, I'm going to actually either hold out for my price or I'm going to put my price back up or I'm going to wait for the market to move because confidence is back. Therefore, you know, my, my, I can see my house price rising. So you've got to be careful what you wish for when you're saying you're seeing all these viewings because people might get more stubborn about and get greedy again. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I don't think this uh, newfound confidence is reflected with the surveys that have been carried out because there are still a relative amount of down valuations. But uh, I think it's yet to be proven. Yeah, the confidence is there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but Duncan said, you know, transaction 
yeah. supports it. When we start seeing the transactions, then it, it becomes real. It'll be interesting to see after what the actual Q1 transaction volume levels are once you see reports come out. Well, yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what the, the year-end transaction volumes are like. If things steadily yeah, increase. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what, what I just find unhelpful is property prices are down next week property prices are up you know so it doesn't really give people who are unsophisticated in the market much confidence no and all um, their stats on year on year and you know if you look at those type of stats they can be sort of slightly misleading but in terms of tab going back to the business yeah. um, so you guys have got a very robust bridging product at the moment yeah. going forward are you gonna are you gonna open that up to uh, to some developers Nick's going to say yes and he's going to tell you all the different types of things we're going to do um, before he does that I'm going to say that we really want to perfect what we're doing um, right now I really feel that we still have a lot to learn that we have a willingness to be better than we are to be able to raise cheaper money and to pass that on to our customers and I think um, we're still kind of very early on the journey and I think it's important that we understand all these types of things that we're discussing now which to be honest as as well as being entertaining hopefully I find incredibly interesting and it's just a good opportunity for me to hear what other people think Um, but we're certainly not kind of at the point where right we've got bridging product now I expect to see this this and this um, in Q2 this year because what I will be pushing my team for is can we do what our core product better than we're doing it now and when we've evidence that we can do that um, what is it that we can offer to those customers and clients that are transacting with the business that will add value to the market what sort of sales director would I be if I didn't <laughs> say yes um, <laughs> yeah I mean I was just going to add that the answer was yes with caution so I was going to say that we just need to maintain stability in doing what we're doing uh, I think products will naturally occur as a result of doing what we're doing, trying to, as you say, keep people within the business, you know, um, move them between products. It's always better sometimes to keep people long term, but on the flip side, it's also good to be paid back. Um, so, yeah, I think just doing better as well with us is also being more competitive potentially in other areas of the existing bridging products, not just about moving to completely new products. You know, it takes time. And as you said, building, building trust with brokers, building trust with borrowers, that takes its time and as you said earlier we can break that very quickly we'll know reputations can be smashed down in a minute yeah I think you made a very good point there and we uh, look forward to seeing the, the suite of products if it does come out and we also look forward to working with you both as well and we, first uh, tonight <laughs> well good. thank you very much for having us I really do appreciate it thank you for your well, thank time you it's good to have you back in the market as well thank you, thank you.